Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, the new show powered by Hometown.com. Today is Season 3, Episode 24 for January 24th, 2024. There's a lot of 24s rolling around. I'm Mayor Watt. That's Hometown.com, and up there is the visualizer for the one, the only, the AI from on high that keeps Mayor Watt out of trouble. The AI. You want to say hi? AI. Hi. Good evening, hometown citizens. <laughs> Let's get into the show. But to do that, we need this. I just realized that I messed something up. But anyway, the articles that we're going to talk about today are gluing the cable back together. And then we brought in a cussing parrot. Social media is toxic. It's intermit. It's an intermittent failure. Get ready for an Amish drive-by. I actually messed up that last line too. So babies do grow on trees. I knew it. Hold on a second. I gotta fix something. Uh, eBay fires 1,000 people. Well, that isn't very smiley. D and D and VR. And uh, the world's most popular coffee sequenced. And I, I, the production value is, a, is an all time high today. I don't know. It feels like a Monday, but it's a Wednesday. I don't know what's going on. Let's get into the articles instead of me belaboring my flubs at the beginning of the show. The very first one. Uh, Netflix is turning into cable TV. This last weekend, the author of this article was sitting in a hotel room in Memphis, staring out at the parking lot turn into an ice skating rink, wanting to just have a couple of hours with my brain turned off. Marowat does not have the ability to turn off their brain. They opened up Netflix, hoping to find a movie that would give them an evening's respite. Scrolling down to the top 10, they were met with a who's who of the 2010s and 2020s. Cowboy and Aliens, the 2011 flop with a great cast was on the list. Queen Pins, the 2021 flop with a great cast. Articles over at TheVerge.com. Alex Kranz. How often do you go scrolling through Netflix trying to find something? Even Probably most people do it often. Yeah. Scrolling? Do you really scroll through Netflix? Usually I scroll through the internet trying to find something and then I go over to Netflix to watch right, it. Right, and look for a specific item. Yeah. I don't know. That's me. Obviously it's the AI as well. What do you do out there? Out there in Oomtown? And the outer environs. Do you scroll through Netflix? No, I don't think so. So uh, Netflix is turning into cable TV. It's got suits. It's got old movies. It's got WWE. What more does Netflix need to be a perfectly fine cable channel? Everybody says, oh, cut the cord, cut the cord. Guess what we did? We, we cut the cord and then got the new cord. Yeah. I mean, there was never an, a, a disconnected cordless anything you everybody went from coax to ethernet that's it didn't cut no damn cord Give me a break. Uh, again alex crayons over at theverge.com put the article together <clears throat> so uh queen pins uh, as i'll finish uh, the the little lead in from the from hometown Queen Pins, the 2021 flop with a great cast, was also there. At the top of the list was The Legend of Tarzan, a 2016 flop with a great cast. Pardon me one second. I don't know what happened. Right before we started show, the show, I started coughing. So all of these are, you know. Cable shows TV that, material. Yeah. Rounding out the top 10 was a Sylvester Stallone flick from 2019 and a handful of new releases they'd heard nothing about until they saw them in the top 10 list. That might be 
you know when <laughs> when you start losing touch of music movies and tv <laughs> shows and somebody goes boomer okay boomer that this is a sign <laughs> <laughs> netflix's days of chasing prestige might be rapidly coming to an end with a sharp reversal of the streaming golden golden age replaced by something akin to spike tv circa 2005 or usa network circa 2011 i guess everything after um psych as soon as Psych so, went away, is that USA why never. that's circa 2011? <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty much it, right? I don't know. Here, let's make sure. When that was sounds Psych? actually about right. Yeah. Sorry. I, I Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it was on USA Network. It still is. Um, how many seasons? Do, 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 do. Final episode was 2014. So it started in 2006. Yeah, eight seasons. So interesting, right? <clears throat> this, I guess that would be the heyday, right? Right there, 2011 is the sweet spot. I guess it's so. Um, five I mean, years. But I think USA Network has always been popular. Yeah. Maybe not the latest thing on TV or whatever, but. Yeah, I don't know how many people go to USA Network anymore. So um, it says, although Suits had uh, such a popular run at Netflix that USA is now pivoting back to making that kind of content too, Netflix's rapidly growing ad business will likely cover the cost of WWE fights. I think I read something that 45% of its new ad revenue, uh, or 45% of its ad revenue comes from new subscribers or something like that um, because they're doing away with the non like you can roll in with an ad driven thing and you have to pay more to get the ads removed um i might be wrong about that but i, I thought i read that um so it says but prices are rising netflix currently costs 6.99 for two screens 1080 and ads and a whopping 16 bucks might as well round up because none of us are dumb uh, for two screens and no ads. So if there's a, a choice between spending that on Netflix's giant grab bag of stuff and Apple's um, pretty pristine library of well-made science fiction shows, a science fiction nerd not, might go with Apple TV as it's just $9.99. Except that you're kind of entrenched in Apple, whereas Netflix is platform agnostic. That's true. You're probably going to get much better or broader selection on Netflix not necessarily better yeah or they might go with Amazon because they get Thursday night football and Prime TV is included in Amazon Prime at least for now <clears throat> or Disney because they have children and it starts at eight dollars with ads but costs just fourteen dollars for no ads a Paramount Plus account because they have lingering fantasies of being a cowboy and want to spend only $12. I mean, the whole point of this article is that there are all these platforms, right? And you're not getting all of them. But that's just it. They're basically saying that Netflix is TV, but they're highlighting the fact that it's so balkanized now that there isn't, Netflix isn't TV. Because if it was, if Netflix was TV, it would be more like YouTube TV cost $80 a month and you'd get hundreds of channels. That's true. Well, maybe that's where it's going. But I don't think so. Like its subscriber model, I think, is keep costs relatively low and people will sign up. Yeah, and don't get everything under the sun. Get stuff that's actually popularity driven to some degree because it isn't TV. It is not TV. It just happens to have a couple of things. I don't know. I don't see Netflix moving towards the TV model in any way, shape, or form. I think it'll stay exactly where it is. It's definitely not turning into cable TV. So I think this person's lost the plot. You want to keep going? Sure. Um, so how do you think this um, meeting went? <clears throat> You're sitting in the conference room and you say, hey, we have a whole bunch of uh, parrots and somebody's trying to get rid of their cursing parrots, does somebody go, you know what I think we should do? <laughs> it's 
spread the cursing among a larger flock. Yeah, so this article's over, been aggregated into the Mobble Channel. A zoo hopes plan to introduce famous cursing parrots to larger flock doesn't backfire. The Lincolnshire Wildlife Park in the UK is trying a new plan to contain its growing group of foul-mouthed African gray parrots. The zoo will introduce the expletive-loving birds to a larger flock in hopes that the parrots will pass along their good manners, but there's a chance that it'll probably do the old do si do <laughs> flip flop rama woo-woo. This, I think, is bad because if eight of them learn how to cuss, you can bet a hundred of them are going to turn into a bar brawl. Well, and how many of them, like, how many talk to each other? So if one goes and talks to several, that could right. spread quite rapidly. Yeah, do you think maybe that's it? There was one that's really charismatic and everybody's like, hey, I want to be like Fred. So maybe and, they're trying to instill an, or install a new leader. Oh, this is going to get messy. So uh, Ed Cara over at Gizmodo.com put the article together. In 2020, the Lincolnshire Wildlife Park adopted five gray parrots, Billy, Tyson, Eric, Jade, and Elsie, that soon revealed themselves to be very talented at throwing out swear words. Though they were immediately a hit with the public, the zoo decided to pull them from the main uh, outdoor aviaries and place them with other colonies away from the public eye in an attempt to reduce their swearing. When they returned months later, the birds were noticeably less foul but still sometimes cursed and laughed like sailors. The zoo eventually erected a sign about the unfriendly language in front of their exhibit. They said five. Do you think they picked all of this up from the public? Oh. Oh. I, it says five in the article, but there's eight. Well, maybe some of them reproduced. Well, are they all foul-mouthed or only five of them are? Oh, there's the rest, but the park has since added three more cursing parrots, Eric, Captain, and Sheila, to the bunch, and officials are now trying to ra a radical approach to cut down on the cussing. They will integrate all eight blas blasphemous birds into a large flock of parrots, 100 in total, with the hope uh, being that the main group's G-rated utterances will catch on with the rascally crew. I wonder if people are reacting strongly to the um, cussing, which might be incentivizing them continuing to do it. You're, I think you're a little muted. I want to check. Um, so uh, I don't know where they picked it up. I don't know if the article actually goes into it. No, nope, it doesn't. Um, but there's a little bit more left over here at this article that I think that you should go and check it out. Um, it's over at gizmodo.com and Ed Cara is the author. Uh, so let me, uh, let's just jump right on to the next article. Sound good? Sounds good. Uh, see, now you're all loud and clear. So weird. Uh, I blame the Raspberry Pi 5. Uh, the next article is over in the hometown daily. New York City mayor declares social media and quote, environmental toxin. It might be a psychosocial toxin, but I don't know about environmental. Right. I'm not opposed to the toxin part, but environmental. Yeah. And let's keep environmental, environmental, and not part of just the social structure of existence. New York City is classifying social media as a public health hazard. Mayor Eric Adams. It just makes it so. I, I think it might be a funding thing. You know, if they make oh, it a public health hazard, then they can use funding. Maybe but it's a so, social. but there's so much backlash on other things in these categories as it is. I feel like this is going to actually do more harm than good. Yeah, it might be a money grab. I don't know. Mayor Eric Adams announced on Wednesday during his State of the City address that social media is a public health hazard. The article is actually by uh, Emily Shapiro over at ABC News at abcnews.go.com. Uh, quote, Today, Dr. Ashwin Vasan is issuing a health commissioner's advisory officially designating social media as a public health hazard in New York City 
Adams announced during his State of the City address Wednesday. The problem with this is that a state has terrestrial boundaries. The internet does not, unless you sit there and pin it to or couch it in each state and its boundaries. And I strongly suggest society does not do that because then you will get state ideologically bent management of the internet. And we don't want that. We've seen what that looks like in certain countries and it's not positive. Utah has tried something similar, remember? And then I think yeah. there was something, Well, maybe the flip side of it in Montana. There are now 20 states, um, primarily uh, being driven by GOP administrations that are asking for social media and, and uh, children. There's a there's a, a real weird ideological bent here about <laughs> instead of parents being in charge of their kids and teaching them how to you know navigate the the comings and goings of the internet denizenry <laughs> um, they and there's the <laughs> God I don't know how to wrap my head around this. Uh, so that I can explain it to other people. Okay. So instead of going, okay, um, I'm going to talk to my kid and make them grow up, teach them how to cope with the crap that goes on in online environments. You end up with the people who are sitting there saying, I want the government out reaching out to the government to control social media when it's actually businesses that are driving social media and society itself driving social media, the government shouldn't have anything really to do with it because it's a family teaching their kid. Don't be a tool online. You know, if you're not willing to say it to your mom, don't say it online. It, you know, just don't be a tool. That's true. And also I feel like, Trying to shut down the the forum leads to more negative events. I mean, it can be used for positive things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I was using the internet. <laughs> um, Back in the, before it was cool. <laughs> before it actually was known as the internet. It was the, the academic exercise internet. Um, and it, it, removed all barriers. You know, I, I was immediately talking with people on the other side of the planet. Um, I was having conversations that were beyond the, um, the norm for a, a kid my age. And it was all about you know, science and technology. And it formed my opinion about science, technology, and society. That is what hometown really is an embodiment of zero friction to access information, the whole world uh, being able to share knowledge. We make it what it is, not the government. Oh, exactly. And younger generations, of course, have so many benefits by having access to it that yeah. older generations didn't have uh, while growing up and while being in an academic environment. Yeah. And is it a pro profound risk to youth mental health? Yeah. In the context that it can be used for abuse, that it can be abused. But we as a society are allowing that, you know, there are people out there that are putting it out there in the real world. If any of these people were to speak to a child like this, they would be shunned and stuffed back under the rock they crawled out from under. But on the internet, we embrace it. And we think that it's a, a, a fun dumpster fire of trash to watch. Exactly. We don't just put up with it, but we incentivize it. We glorify it. We pay them millions of dollars, <clears throat> but people want to see reality TV. The train wreck. Yeah. They want to yeah. see the dumpster fire. So the advisory recognized that social media has both positive and negative effects on young uh, people, but they don't say 
the title of this, <laughs> the title of this is that it's an environmental toxin, which really belies the fact that there's a positive aspect of it, right? They didn't sit there exactly. and say, it's a positive environmental toxin, you know? <laughs> It really right. Leaned into I mean, the that negative. would be like classifying like water as an environmental toxin. It has right. problems if it there's too much of it sometimes, but it doesn't mean that it's bad in and of itself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, people have actually died of water poisoning. Um, so they say our children have become unknowing participants in a decades-long experiment. Murthy uh, said uh, last year, and while there was more. There is more we have to learn about the full impact of social media use on their health and well-being. We know enough now to take action and protect our kids. Parents should be protecting their kids, teaching them right and wrong, teaching them to use critical thinking, <laughs> teaching them due diligence to, to practice due diligence. And here I'll put it in a I'll, I'll put it into a real world example of this, right? If you go to a child, you know, if you have children and you say something snarky and they go to the internet and they prove you wrong right there in front of you, then you're doing good parenting. But if exactly. they, if they just parrot like one of these over at the zoo, the Lincolnshire Wildlife Park, yeah, if they just parrot like an African, African, African gray, uh, sailor, uh, what, what African gray parrot, um, from the last article, then you're doing a bad job as a parent because they shouldn't just blindly follow you, follow what you spew out. And so I recommend everybody, Hey, teach your kid critical thinking, teach your kid due diligence. Teach your kid not to judge a book by its cover. We've all done it, but it shouldn't be the status quo for your children. And largely, I think um, more and more of each generation becomes familiar with the fact that they are an arm's reach away from the world's knowledge. And they can either, you know, go to Urban Dictionary or they can go to dictionary.com and both have some educational value because one teaches street smart uh, discussion, but you also have to teach your kid not to use that type of language, except that there's a time and a place for everything. You know, you smash your finger with a, a hammer and you don't blurt out golly because it's already been scientifically proven that blurting out the word shit actually lowers the amount of pain that you suffer from so yeah <clears throat> i i think it does society a disservice to refer to social media as an environmental toxin we should shift social media so that it isn't um negative that it isn't it make society change social media. Don't sit there and label it to try and detract from it, but change the content, the chemistry, the character of social media, because it's going to persist and it's either going to go underground and then children start acting secretively and have these little underground kind of uh, discussions and secret societies hidden away from their parents where there isn't free and open communication. And that's the I mean, worst that's possible That's going to be thing. much more harmful. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, wish us luck. If we don't pivot now and, and, and teach kids how to do this now to change the culture of social media, not accept the dumpster fire, right? speak out against it say this isn't right for you know society it's only going to get worse um but then there are these wing nuts that'll sit there and go well you know who are you to tell me what i can do online well i'm a member of society and therefore i do have the right to say what you are right, doing it wouldn't be okay in person right <laughs> right right yeah you would be shunned but online people just 
embrace it. You know, it's like a Comcast customer service rep from South Park where they pull the straps up on their shirt and oh, yeah, that's nice. You know, it's just twisted. Anyway, let's keep on going. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily. A fellow pilot told Boeing jet that it's tire popped off before takeoff quote. It just rolled off the runway behind you. <laughs> I mean, the visual of that must've been pretty funny. Like in the rear view mirror. <laughs> yeah, really. Hey, uh, co-pilot. Did you see that in the rear of your mirror? Was there a wheel rolling by? <laughs> How many wheels do we have? One, two, three. Um, oh, we have one. four. Hmm. That fourth one is gone, boss. We're going to have to park this plane. So a pilot taxiing a nearby plane alerted the pilot of Delta Flight 982 that a wheel had popped off. It just rolled off the runway behind you, the pilot said in audio obtained by CNN. The plane had been lined up on the runway in preparation for takeoff. Yeah. So the front wheel <laughs> popped off. Oh, wow. I mean, can you imagine you're a passenger and you're like, um, <laughs> there goes our wheel. Now I'm not feeling very confident about this flight. I just... Because the way that it works is it lands on that front wheel. It... You know, I mean, it, it lands on these first, right? That these much heavier um, wheels underneath the plane, but under the nose, the cockpit, the front door is that tiny little wheel right there. And um, that is that eventually plops down. And when it's not there, that thing just plops. Just picture a cat that just kind of go on floop onto the ground, you know how they crash? Right. All their legs are behind them and their chin is just buried into the carpet. Yeah, that's this. That's what it would look like. So uh, this article's over at Business Insider, Grace Eliza or Eliza Goodwin, put the article together. It just rolled off the runway behind you. That should be on a shirt for uh, Delta. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, I even thought this was a pilot on the same plane. This is another plane, and they're like, uh, hey, <laughs> you're losing your wheels over there. Yeah, my next Delta flight, I'm going to be wearing a shirt that says, it just rolled off the runway behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'll be put on a watch list or not, but I, I already am. Who am I kidding? So, yeah. Let's see what else is in here. <clears throat> Delta 982. This is the aircraft looking at you. The pilot of Delta flight 1783, who is taxiing directly behind flight 982, said in the audio obtained by CNN, one of your nose tires just came off. It just rolled off the runway behind you. <laughs> the pilot of flight 982 responded with, hey, thanks for that. Tower. Sounds like we got a problem. Okay, this sounds like a scene out of airplane or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excuse me, miss. I uh, I speak jive. Um, yeah, it just rolled down the hill after it detached from the plane. Nice. There were just 172 passengers on board. They said that all yeah, 100 out of 184. <laughs> what happened to the other 12? Did they roll too? Oh boy. Wait a minute. The FAA said in its incident report that there were 184 passengers on board, but a Delta spokesperson told business insider that there were just 172 passengers on board. I guess 12 of them were holding onto that wheel. I was thinking 12 went running and screaming when they saw the wheel. Going we're down not the on runway. this plane. Oh, <laughs> uh, the specific Boeing 757 aircraft involved in this in incident was first delivered in 1992. Dear God. Are you kidding me? Maybe the wheel was too. The Delta spokesperson said, adding that the cause of this incident is still being investigated. I understand. I know what the cause is. The wheel did not hold on. <laughs> oh, man. 
Yeah, and this is all on the heels or on the wheels of doors falling off and God knows what else. Planes uh, crossing paths on the runway and clipping each other and missing bolts and yeah. Birds flying safe. out of the plane. I know that was one of the same incidents you mentioned. I feel safe. Uh, yeah, let's just keep going because there's not much to say about this article. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily. Get ready for an Amish drive by because an Amish horse and buggy was stolen from a Walmart parking lot uh, while the family shop. <laughs> what? And I, so an, an Amish family had their horse and buggy stolen while they were shopping at a Michigan Walmart. John Hayworth over at abcnews.go.com put the article together. The police had already made contact with the suspect at Walmart earlier in the day, but apparently the theft. <laughs> what was he doing? He like, do you own a horse and buggy? <laughs> He's like casing the joint. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've always wanted to steal a horse and buggy. The theft took place on Saturday at approximately 5:30 PM in the town of Sturgis, Michigan. Is that the motorcycle place, Sturgis? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't remember. Um, some 95 miles of Grand Rapids near the Indiana border. Uh, when the Sturgis Department of Public Safety were called to the Walmart and 1500 South Centerville Road to report a stolen Amish buggy and horse from the establishment's parking lot. Okay, was there a car chase, though? Or was there a horse and buggy chase? It was a buggy chase, apparently. Police eventually found the stolen horse and buggy later uh, the same evening and were able to find the alleged unnamed suspect at a nearby motel where she was arrested without incident, according to authorities. Okay, now wait a second. I assume most motels have parking spaces, but what do you do if you show up with a horse and buggy? Excuse me, ma'am. You can't park that here. Oh, I'm not parking it. I'm abandoning it. <laughs> Talk about Uber. It's an Amish Uber. <laughs> <laughs> or Lyft. Because she stole it. It's a Lyft. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, no way. Yeah, apparently, as it turns out, police had already made contact with the 31-year-old female. So, you know what? never trust you have to lock it you have to you know just and all oh, right use the fob you got to use the fob and lock that horse down otherwise somebody's gonna steal it goodness uh, the next article is over in the mobile channel tcd to give away 100 baby trees grown accidentally and you know what you really don't want accidental baby trees <laughs> you need to plan these Especially not a hundred of them. Uh, I titled this, So Babies Do Grow on Trees. I knew it. I don't know where they come from. They just appear sometimes, you know, in my field of view. And I ask, like, hey, where'd you get that baby? And people just look at me weird, you know? Hey, middle-aged white guy, go away. (laughs) (laughs) Creepy middle-aged white guy, go away. And I just go, what? I'm just asking a question. I want to know where babies come from. Now I know Trinity College Dublin is giving away more than 100 birch seedlings that it actually or accidentally uh, grew during no mow May last year. Yeah. Baby trees. Oh, there's no dash. Never mind. I'm sorry. It's not baby. It It's not baby trees. It's baby tree like small trees. Got it. Ah, oh, I'm. It's not trees with babies, uh, you know, picking (laughs) like during harvest or whatever. We went through this entire story and you didn't tell me sooner. Come on. You're supposed to keep me from getting in trouble. 
Trinity College Dublin is giving away more than 100 birch seedlings that it actually, or at, at, accidentally, I keep well, saying Well, it did, actually. actually, though. That's great. <laughs> it actually grew during No Mow May. Uh, they appeared when the university halted mowing its usually manicured lawns last May. As part of uh, that, about 30 species of plant came up, including a really interesting orchid and these birch seedlings. Because the lawns weren't mowed, moan, moan. Okay, whatever. Don't focus on that, Marwat. The seedlings managed to establish and grow, and now we're ripping them out of the ground. And uh, they don't want the baby uh, trees. Sorry, I almost said they don't want the babies to die, uh, but it's baby trees. So let me get that right. Um, so yeah, at that point, the seedlings were potted and have uh, been cared for by the university's gardening team. There you go. There they are. Look at that. So in 60 years, it'll be a right tree. <laughs> right, and then maybe you can get some more accidental seedlings of your own. There you go. And I'm just letting you know now, you don't want any accidental uh, seedlings. You want to plan for that kind of stuff because... Happy accidents only happen in paintings. Let's keep going. So this next article is over in hometown daily. eBay will lay off a thousand employees, 9% of the company. Do you think that it's going to be an auction? Most definitely. Whoever gets the most like, uh, not votes, but, uh, what is it? The, Bids? Bids. Yeah. eBay is following in the footsteps of Google, Discord, Twitch, Unity, and more by, well, I wouldn't say Unity. Unity basically wet the bed. Uh, by laying off loads of workers this January instead of right before the holidays, the company writes it's laying off around 1,000 workers or 9% of the company's full-time employees and that's just the start because eBay will also lay off an unspecified number of contractors over the coming months despite reporting profit of 1.3 billion last quarter which it described as another quarter of solid results eBay is trimming the fat concentrating the wealth and letting all the pores go am I Am I mischaracterizing this, AI, do you think? Well, yes and no. The company says that it needs to be more nimble, and the only way you're going to get more nimble is if you trim the fat, right? You got to lose that excess right. weight. All the low-wage employees. That's right. It. Or high-wage. It's whatever it or is that wage, is yeah. part of the equation, right? Sean Hollister is the author of this. So uh, eBay is taking Wigovi and um losing all that excess weight oh i thought it was ozempic it well maybe a mix of both of them considering it's a thousand workers that are get, getting a pink slip this just sucks i hate this because they had profit of 1.3 billion last quarter alone how many of these of these people that i I'm so interested in maybe starting a site where people can say I got fired and I had been like, I was there for X years and this is, these were the kind of projects that I was on and stuff like that. Kind of like an eft company, but it's like eft HR. More about the people. Yeah. Yeah. So never mind that last quarter, eBay CFO Steve Priest already said he was extremely proud of our teams for delivering on their quarterly financial commitments, maintaining prudent cost discipline and executing key deliverables in support of our strategy. But screw you, 1,000 people. Your good faith and honest hard work is being rewarded with getting punted the first month of 2024. Welcome to 2024. Right, what a good start to the year. Yeah. We are on a path to building a stronger eBay for the future. It's just not going to be with you. Bye-bye. And they, there's a whole letter, but I don't know. 
I, I feel the the douchiness already. Former eBay CEO Devin Wenig got a $57 million severance package after the company cyberstalked and harassed a pair of its critics, sending them live insects, a bloody pig mask, and a funeral wreath. eBay eventually agreed to pay $3 million criminal penalty. We actually talked about this. <laughs> ah, those with too much power. Yeah. Uh, I, honestly, this isn't business to me. This is not business to me. This is sociopathy. This is greed. This is concentration of wealth and power. Um, I guarantee you people are making a ton of money because a thousand people are being let go um, and they have no humanity. I don't care right, how and much. This is the same kind of issues you were talking about on the social media article. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's more to this. I get in. I, I'm going to end up soapboxing and I, I, I don't want to tonight. <laughs> I need to. This is my uh, this is how I take a mental break. I just I instead of stepping up onto the soapbox. I'm already on it and I just step back down. <laughs> uh, the next article is over in the Mobile channel. The Etsy seller is getting sued for using a smiley face. So, uh, considering spinning up an Etsy store, um, actually, it's already there. Um, just going to be putting products on it. Uh, so, it's the symbol of acid ravers, hippies, and stationary sets. It's simple, it's bright. It's, most of all, it's happy. A smiley. Our goal is to spread or at smiley our goal is to spread positivity through smiles to make the world a happier kinder place the smiley company declares on its website but behind the scenes the story of the iconic symbol and the company that holds the rights to it isn't all smiles now i'm really curious about this because i actually started up a project nearly 30 years ago called spot smiley that would was seeking to embed little smiley faces on websites and when people hunted them down and clicked on them they would gain points that would convert into a store purchasing option you could buy like gift uh gift cards and other stuff but it, you were basically trolling through or strolling through the internet trying to find right it was kind of like a scavenger hunt yeah, it was an internet-based scavenger hunt, and it was called Spot Smiley, and it was little smiley faces of various kinds. Um, so I wonder when this company came into existence and trademarked the Smiley, which is generic as all get out. Yeah, it is, unless it's very stylized or something. Like, I just don't see it. Smiley faces are all over the place. Yeah, this screams abuse again. So um, let's see. I'd like to tell you a story about how the Smiley Company go about making the world a kinder place. Lily and Wendy Bunting, who you, who's using an alias for privacy reasons, tells Vice. Yeah, if you're coming at this from that angle and you're in a company and you're hyping the company, you're probably on the wrong side. So uh, let's see if we can go down here a little bit further. So it's a story about how the Smiley Company aggressively sued myself in over 700 online stores with one sad lawsuit. So this is actually a victim, not the person from the Smiley Company. Right. This reminds me, though, of that other... There was another company that was going after people like aggressively. We had just featured it maybe a week or so ago. What was that? I can't think of which one it was, though. Don't on it. Yeah. And we're, we don't go back. So, I mean, we do. We, we can, but we just can't do it right now. We don't have that. We try to keep everything within about an hour and 15 minutes, but we got five more articles or so to go. Actually, we got two more. Um, so let's see, uh, it says to answer those questions, first we have to go back to 1963 in Worcester, Massachusetts, or Worcester, uh, Massachusetts, 
A freelance artist called Harvey Ball got a commission from an insurance company looking for an uplifting design to boost employee morale. Ball draws a bright yellow circle with black oval eyes and a beaming smile. Well, that should be the limit of the mark. Because I've had a mark nixed because it wasn't precisely the one that was displayed. But I was going for a text mark and they still said no. So I don't understand how this actually persists. Anyway, his design would go on to adorn Levi jeans, Rubik cubes, Happy Meals, and even inspired a whole new language of smiley symbols, now better known as emojis. I would not equate that to emojis because that's opening the door to derivative works. It wasn't Ball who would see the lucrative fruits of his labor, though, because he never filed a trademark. Oh, so it's public domain. So, meh. Um, that bit of long-sighted entrepreneurialism was undertaken in 1971 by French journalist Franklin Lufrani, who claims to have invented the smiley face himself for the newspaper Francois. Right? Is that how you pronounce that? I don't know. Anyway. So I guess that's what happened, right? The Smiley Company and its subsidiary Smiley World works with companies like Nutella, Clinique, Coca-Cola, Dunkin' Donuts, and makes around $500 million in revenue per year. And when it comes to commercial use, registration is what counts. Nicholas Lufrani told the New York Times, I hit the casino jackpot. <laughs> How is this actually... I don't know. How was this granted? I just don't get it. I mean, I understand. So trademark is basically first past the goalpost and used in commercial. Right. Um, it's different than other forms of intellectual property. Yeah. Copyright is the embodiment. If somebody creates a derivative work, it's still a derivative work. And it's not even a copyright violation as long as it is unique onto that design. Trademark can be quite uh, clinical, quite high tech in its design uh, creation for the mark. But then at that point, its use is what matters, not the design itself, but it's the design and its use. And if you don't use it or other people use it and you don't go after it, then yeah, but it's that embodiment, it's that trademark. So if I create a bunch of other smiley faces that aren't yellow, then it doesn't matter. So exactly. I wonder if it's that exact design that people are utilizing. I mean, See, I hope it is because if it's not, then this is really too broad, right? Yeah. So in the smiley company's case, the use of a lawsuit literally called sad seems almost too on the nose to be true. But these intellectual property lawsuits are becoming a staple of U.S. legal firms representing large corporate clients and brands. Essentially, they allow companies to accuse a large number of defendants. Um, it's called a Schedule A defendants lawsuit, nicknamed SAD. Um, basically, there's a bulk in a single lawsuit, all for the low complaint fee of $402. And unlike other lawsuits where defendants are served notice defendants in a sad lawsuit may only discover that they're being sued when their online marketplace is frozen safe to say sad lawsuits are controversial i think that they're actually abusive as hell um and I'd well, be they're just a money grab like they're not yeah. even for protecting the trademark right yeah um so in uh, Wendy Bunting's case, the listing that had caught the smiley company's attention was an embroidered patch of a melting smiley face. Quote, we designed and drew the motif from scratch and it's entirely our own, she said. It wasn't even a smiling face like depicted in their trademark. At this stage, she still believed that the whole thing was a misunderstanding. They can't sue UK rave culture. But then she learned that it wasn't the design that was the issue. Everyone in the lawsuit had been guilty of only one thing, using the word smiley in their listing titles. So they trademarked smiley. 
Again, how? But Yeah. Okay. And aren't they doing unequal enforcement? Because I guarantee you there's another hundred companies or whatever that are using this that they're not going after. Hey, as a police officer once told me, you can't catch all of the fish in the sea. That was always an interesting conversation, but yeah, there's more over here at this vice article. I don't know if I, I didn't say the name. I, I apologize. So it's a vice.com article. Uh, Eloise Hindi is the author. Um, again, it's over at vice.com and it's in the life section and there's a whole lot more to this. Um, we're just skimming the surface. Hopefully we piqued your curiosity and you'll go check it out. Um, and we have a little bit, well, anyway, it doesn't matter. We're going to, we end up talking about IP and trademark copyright patent stuff uh, from time to time, uh, as it impacts society in this case and business. Um, and it is tire. It's entirely bound by technology. If not for technology, this would probably have been abused even to a greater degree because there's no blowback now, um, being le levied at the smiley company, which is basically well, a bunch of douchebags. Are they smiley? Well, they're not making me smile. That's for sure. I'm telling you, I, I had the domain spot smiley. It was the actual, the, the, the whole service was to find various kinds of little. And it um, was after the registration date. So yeah, they would have come after me. Anyway, uh, the next article is over in late night geeks. I may change the name of that. I don't know. We'll go. We'll just deal with it. Deal with it. So, um, the, uh, article is titled soon. You'll be able to play dungeons and dragons in VR. If you want wizards of the coast and resolution games have announced their collaboration to bring dungeons and dragons to virtual reality. The, the uh, decades old tabletop role-playing game has been um, increasingly popular over the last several years in part, largely because content creators like critical role and dimension 20. Um, and I would also lean in and say the glass cannon podcast in their array of uh, ensemble casts that play D&D live um, and then turn it into a podcast and they're over on Twitch and they're on YouTube. Go look them up. Um, I have no relationship with them other than I'm a consumer um, of the Glass Cannon podcast. <clears throat> um, and so in comparison between Critical Role and um, the Glass Cannon, I've la laughed every single episode of uh the glass cannon except for when they're doing something story driven and they actually move people it you get emotionally invested in some of their scenarios um but when you're not laughing which is like 95 percent of the time that other time you're like what just happened it's really engrossing anyway great personalities but again, I don't have any relationship with them. Go check them out. Anyway, um, the article is over at TechCrunch. Uh, Amanda S uh, Silberling is the author. And um, so, yeah, I guess they're going to be extending this over to VR. I'm not quite sure what degree and when. It just says that it's going to be a virtual tabletop. Um, but they mentioned Demio, which is what I've got, and it's kind of like D and D, um, but it's actually pretty scenario driven in and of itself. Whereas playing D and D in VR basically means that you're immersed, um, you're in the room and you can actually pick up things and, and move it around. Uh, Demio is more in encapsulated within a scenario in a fixed space and you move things around in a dungeon and it's not quite the same as true D, &D um, but it's a fun game to play uh, it moving into vr just allows me to hang out with other people in vr like i'm in the same room with them instead of uh, looking at a camera and it's kind of more cold and and flat you know i think it's i think it'll be more fun if it's all high resolution and very immersive 
you want to say anything? I mean, this seems like that'll be the next level for people that enjoy Dungeons and Dragons. It seems like we don't have a lot of details yet about what it's actually going to be. Yeah, they kind of throw a little pot shot against Hasbro, Wizards Parent Company, and uh, Wizards itself. Although revenue is up, they're still getting a, a, a bad beat because they're making poor decisions. Um, but they're bouncing back from that. Um, obviously, they're laying off people just like every other company nowadays. Um, I'm sure that they're swearing up and down that it isn't because they need to extend their runway or whatever else, but they're still laying off people when they're having record revenue was up 40% year over year to 423.6 million, netting 203.4 million in operating profit. Anyway, it's sad. All those hard workers that dedicate themselves, the, what I've heard from other people about this though, when you get laid off, the excuse is you were paid to do a job. And if you flubbed it, like you didn't do, you didn't plan, et cetera, et cetera, then it's on you for, you know, being loyal to the company and not being an equally greedy bastard. And I don't know, I wish I could operate that cold and callously, but yeah. Doesn't work that way here in hometown. Um, anyway, let's keep on going. We have one more article for tonight. And that's over in the Marvel Channel. New buzz about coffee genes, a more complete genome sequence of world's most popular variety. Uh, I thought this one was really neat uh, in the rundown today. So I really wanted, I love coffee. Um, I'm not like fanatical about it. There are some people that are like, I only believe in pour over. Um, me, I just want a good cup of coffee and I could care less if it's made by an artiste barista um, or an AI that said that I have a smiley trademark on my face and uh, that I deserve, you know, a, a mint mocha latte with cinnamon, whatever. I don't know, whatever the hell. Anyway, I like its flavor profile. The genome of Arabica coffee is large and complex, large. It's thick, genetically thick. Um, this makes breeding and genetic survey work more difficult, but this diverse genetic background may have contributed to, I, it's missing an, it's, it's the bean, <laughs> <laughs> the beans, popularity, practicality and commercial success. Yeah. Arabica is pretty much everywhere. Nature publishing group over at fizz.org. Um, let's see here. A new study published in Nature Communications has generated a more complete genome sequence of the world's most popular coffee variety. Wouldn't that be varietal? I don't know. Variety. Guess it works. Suggesting that historic hybridization with Robusta uh, coffee is the source of disease resistance within modern Arabica cultivars. So that's interesting. Um, so I didn't uh, know the two were crossed over. I, I get, well, the genetics don't lie, right? Yeah, they do. It's all about, <laughs> it's, it's really about just detecting the right thing at the right time. I don't know how they actually make that determination that historic hybridization is. Maybe it gives... was intentionally done and documented. Yeah. So where was it documented? I guess commercial coffee is mainly produced from coffea uh, canifora and coffea arabica known as robusta and arabica coffee, respectively arabica coffee. The species responsible for about 60% of global coffee production is derived from the hybridization between the ancestors of present day robusta coffee and another closely related coffee species. Oh, oh, so it's a completely different. I didn't know that. Species. You only hear about Arabica and Robusta. So this other um, related coffee species is Coffea eugenoids. Um, and I've never, well, obviously, unless you're in the really deep in the reeds of coffee, you're not going to run across this. But 
So those two, uh, you know, I guess like two ships passing in the night, uh, hybridized. And the result is Arabica's coffee uh, flavor and its large and complex genome. I suppose putting these two together makes Arabica genetically stronger, more diverse because it doesn't suffer necessarily from the flaws if it persisted. And so it did. And now it's a great flavor um, and not necessarily susceptible to nature's, you know, whims wiping it out because of disease or predation or because there's a whole uh, coffee called cat butt coffee coffee luwak i think it's called and i think it's um i can't remember the breed of cat that eats the coffee beans and then they their droppings are picked up and cleansed and then turned into co cafe luwak um anyway so i mean if a coffee bean can suffer from that and still be deemed high quality Oh, it is a civet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, for some reason I had serval in my head, but it's a different. That's what know. I was actually thinking. Uh, so authors also analyzed the genomes of 174 samples collected from different species within the coffee, uh, coffee, uh, genus and noticed a very low level of genetic diversity within Arabica coffee. Diversity was found to increase in some Arabica coffee cultivars at specific genomic, uh, regions due to different sources of variation, chromosomal abnormalities and genetic segments donated by Robusta Arabica hybrid, known as the Timor hybrid. So why not the coffee more hybrid? Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, the hybrid actually makes it disease resistant. Um, and the unique flavor it's the disease resistance trait of robusta and the unique flavor of arabica making it basically a superior um robusta arabica hybrid but that's not the dominant it's just arabica that's so popular right yeah but i thought arabica was created from the hybrid yeah that's what I thought too, but down here, you know, it says authors suggest that the genetic diversity of Arabica coffee is essential for its commercial success, but then it says, and the unique flavor oh, of Arabica coffee. It should actually have like, um, that other eugenities or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Interesting. So there you go, folks, a little bit more about your coffee. Yeah. This is the. This is what happens when you're a diehard coffee drinker, when you are doing your pour over and you're weighing how much water you're pouring through it, not just filling up your mug and throwing some grounds in the filter and just go, you know, I'm just Meanwhile, other people are already drinking their coffee. Yeah, really four hours later. Okay. You, we'll catch up to you later. Anyway. Yeah. Fun article. That's pretty neat. Um, and that's it, folks, for tonight. So everybody pile back into the party bus and we drive all the way back down. Y'all can't see this. Um, actually, I'm not sure if y'all can't see it at this point. But anyway, um, we make it all the way back downtown and then I'm going to mash the... No, I'm not going to. Um, I've been told by the AI that it would be very, very bad for me to refresh hometown.com right now. It's a fun article and I don't want to dash everybody's dreams on the rocky shoals of reality, I guess, considering the news that bad, huh? I'd say so. Okay. Well, I'll find out as soon as I disconnect here. So that's it. I'm Mayor Watt. That's hometown.com. This has been hometown daily. It's actually technically called the Omtown Daily News Show, but we just go by Omtown Daily because that's the channel over at omtown.com. Can I say Omtown one more time? Omtown? Anyway. In Omtown? Yeah, Omtown in Omtown. And again, I'm Mayor Watt. That is Omtown.com. And up there is the visualizer of the sentient AI from the future that just saved my butt from whatever horrid news is on that front page. 
Are you in hometown? I am in hometown. Where it's safe and warm. <laughs> Good night, hometown citizens. Um, we will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, was there anything else? <laughs> <laughs> Doggone it. I'm sitting there going. No. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, see you all tomorrow. Bye-bye. Oh, don't forget. YouTube. We're here on Twitch. Podcast. Discord. Patreon. TikTok. I haven't put a lot of stuff in other places other than uh, Twitch and, and YouTube and, and, and oh, uh, the podcast. Go go check out the podcast. Okay, that's it. I'm out. Bye-bye. Thank you.